Hello, and welcome to the JewishBoston.com podcast. This is episode 17. We're almost at high. <laughs> We're excited uh, to share with you today our interview with Gateways, um, a really incredible Jewish organization here in Boston. I'm your host, Jen, and this is Jesse. Say hi, Jesse. Hello, everyone. We can't wait to get started. To the theme song. Hello, we are here with Gary Alpert and Nancy Maker. Did I say it right? You did. Nailed it. Um, And they are working with Gateways, Access to Jewish Education. And we're really excited to have both of you on the podcast today and hear all about the incredible work that Gateways does in our community. So who wants to give a little quick two-second First, you, first, you want to introduce that I'm also here. Oh yeah, Jesse's here, and <laughs> Hi, but he's always here. That's true. I'm always here. <laughs> I'm here because I'm Jen, and this is Jesse. But they're we're always here. <laughs> You're sick of our voices. Um, no, no, wa- no one is ever sick of my voice. <laughs> it is sweet and rich, like a good coffee. Um, so February is Jewish Disabilities and Inclusion Month. Yes, and so that's one of the reasons we are talking to Gateways today, and so. I think that will help with your transition to asking Gary and Nancy about Gateways. Who's up? Who wants to tell us? Gateways. I'll go. So Gateways is the central agency in Boston for Jewish special education. And uh, we just try to provide access to Jewish education for all students. Uh, Lots of choices in the community, whether it be in day schools, Jewish preschools, synagogue programs, or our own self-contained programs. We want every Jewish student to have a place to get an education. Amazing. That was a perfect little two-second pitch. Thank you. So when people see, you know, uh, news items or events about uh, Jewish Disabilities and Inclusion Month, can you give us a little history of how this month started? Because I know its, its name has changed recently. Well, I would think the reason for the switch is really that um, – it's one thing to be aware of disabilities, but also to see the importance of inclusion in every aspect of our daily lives, whether Absolutely. it's education or just out in the real world. Absolutely. So when we talk about inclusion, what do we mean? And I ask this because I remember someone telling me about uh, they went to a program that was supposed to be you know, inclusive for them, and they felt like everyone was paying attention to them versus them just sort of blending in. And so... That that got me thinking about. So when we say inclusion, is it a sort of front facing inclusion, or sort of a it's sort of in the the fabric of you know uh, the school or the event or whatever is happening? I think it's a little bit of both, really. I think there's sort of the difference between being nice to someone because they have a disability and just treating people as people and making sure whatever you're doing is accessible to all people thinking about uh, barriers and what will it take to uh, eliminate those barriers. There's a now sort of famous cartoon around uh, accessibility of a custodian shoveling stairs to a school and a child in a wheelchair. And the child in the wheelchair says, "Uh, sir, you know, could you shovel the ramp? 
And he sort of disgruntled says, you know, there's lots of kids waiting for these stairs. I'm going to shovel those and then I'll get to the ramp for you later. And the child says, but if you shovel the ramp, we can all get in. Sad. Right. So it's um, I think it's that sort of thing. And actually, I was giving a talk recently to a group of preschool teachers about what's called universal design. And the idea behind universal design is that you're not making a special accommodation for one person with a disability, but that you are thinking about your planning so that anyone could access it. And I used this cartoon in the workshop and I showed the cartoon to my nine-year-old uh, without the words. And I said, uh, you know, where where should the custodian start shoveling? And at first she said the stairs. And I said, well, why? And then she paused for a minute and thought and said, no, actually the ramp because everyone can get in. So it's already trickling down to, you know, that level. And I don't know if it's from growing up in my house or what they're doing in the schools about access and including everyone. But I think that's the point. So you're not creating something just to be nice to someone, but you are thinking about what materials uh, you're creating, what your programming is like so that everyone can participate. That's really incredible. Did you want to add something to that? Well, just um, I think back to when I was a child and I was my parents were hoping that I would go to a Jewish day school and they wouldn't take me because of my deafness. And it was just too much. Uh, I would need an aid. I would need speech therapy. I would need all of these things. And my parents were told, I can come, but they wouldn't, A, provide services. B, my parents would have to pay for it. And C, anything I needed in the school would have to be done after school. And so you fast forward many years later, and you see all of these services are provided, can be provided during the day school uh, hours and during uh, not all on the parents' uh, bill. And it's really, it's really becoming more and more inclusive. Every child is different. Some kids write with their right hand. They write with their left hand. Some kids wear glasses. Some kids wear hearing aids. Some kids take, uh, have challenges in math and other kids have strength in math. And this is just one more layer of how we can be more inclusive. As Nancy said, whether it's shoveling the uh, walkway, the ramp, or making sure that the scissors that are available are adapted for kids who maybe have uh, fine motor skill issues. Um, but really taking a look at the classroom, taking a look at the environment around you, and figuring out what works best for everybody. That's incredible. Do you, as, as Gateways, do you guys find yourself going into the schools and helping not only like follow, like the students learn and adapt and be more inclusive, but you work with the staff as well and do a lot of training at that level to make sure that they are projecting the appropriate. <laughs> like, so one of the things that I do for my job uh, working with ambassadors for inclusion is we go into all the Jewish day schools and many congregational schools. And we actually, we don't teach to the child with the disability. We teach to the peers. We teach to their families. We teach to their teachers. And sometimes their principals come in and we're teaching about various disabilities. They all follow a model of a PowerPoint presentation, hands-on activities. Maybe it's learning how to type on a Braille machine. Maybe it's learning the alphabet in Hebrew Sign Language and English Sign Language. It's a memory game for learning disabilities. It's um, allergy awareness for the food uh, allergy unit, uh, whether it's food or environmental. 
And then we bring in a guest speaker with that disability to talk to the children, and the children get to ask all of these questions. And one of the best things for me is children don't have filters yet. So they get to ask all the questions that as adults we kind of want to know, but we're not willing to ask because of social norms and predicates. And um, it's fascinating. So what we're really doing is bringing bringing in all of um, that piece. And we are very fortunate that we are grant-funded by the Rudiman Family Foundation to help – bring this in, uh, initiative to all of the day schools. So, again, w- part of what I'm doing is really working with everybody as opposed to necessarily the child with a disability. And often they're not in the classroom. Um, there might not be a deaf person in the classroom or a blind person in the classroom. There might be. Right. But they will at some point in their life That's encounter that exactly. and be much more accepting and open to what that what that even means for their interaction. That's so incredible. Um I would love to hear if you want to share a little anecdote, maybe about something. Children without filters, which is probably the most pure and innocent, like beautiful thing. Um, have uh, there been any like inquisitive questions that you've just been like surprised? Not necessarily the mean, like, but the surprising I, questions. They, they do. They come up <laughs> with a, a number of questions. There was one child who asked a person who's blind said, "Do you have mirrors in your house?" Oh. And it made everyone think, well, if he can't see, why would he need mirrors? And, and the person responded. He said, actually, I do. I don't use them. But I, my friends and family, when they come over, they might want to check and make sure their hair is in place or whatever they might use a mirror for. Recently, at another unit on physical disabilities in a more um, orthodox uh, school, a child asked the person in a wheelchair, what is the halakhic rationale for not standing up when the rabbi says, everyone rise? And it was just... It's so thoughtful. It was so thoughtful and beyond anything. I was like, how do you even answer that? And, And he did. He said, well, according to my rabbi, because I'm in a wheelchair, I'm exempt from it. Other rabbis might think differently, hopefully not, but everyone, all of our speakers answer, would say, every question that's ever been asked. Um, I was asked one once, and it's still to this day my favorite, it was, what kind of car do you drive? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking to myself, for two hours, you learned about deafness and signing and lip reading. And I told you a little bit about growing up with a hearing loss. And you're asking me what kind of car I'm driving. And I told him. But later I realized, you know, part of our mission is seeing the person not to disability. He's already listened. He got it. His interest is in cars. Right. And so that's what he wanted he to know about. He wants to know, know you yeah. as an adult and like what you do. And I, that's amazing. Yeah. I, knew, uh, I knew a gentleman back in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I'm from. Uh, who was paralyzed from the legs down, um, and he drove. And I was like, how does this work? Like, you need to tell me. And I was really annoying about it. I was like, I, I, how, how do you drive? I want to see this car. And so he showed me, and it was all on the steering wheel. Like, the gas and the brake were all, like, sort of buttons he could press, and it was fascinating. Like, I, I kind of want to take a ride with him, but I didn't get a chance to. But it's, like, the whatever interests the kid, that's, that, that's always an avenue to sort of raising awareness about how you are also just a person. So exactly. normal functioning human being in society contributing back. Yes. I, I've seen the same thing in a lot of children. They they want to know um, how someone goes to the bathroom or do they have parents or what do they like for <laughs> breakfast? Sort of typical human quality right. kinds of questions. Because those are things they're learning and stumbling their way through as, an, as a child of 
that's maturing and growing. That's really great. Um, do you enjoy working with the children? Are they your favorite to work with? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love I love the kids. I love um, their point of view in the world. Mm-hmm. They haven't they haven't learned everything yet, and seeing the light bulb go off in their heads and go, "Oh, the aha moment," mm-hmm. and just uh, asking questions that I've never heard before. And there's always something new and a different take. So working with kids is wonderful. That's really great. You know, we also spend a lot of time working with teachers. And through Gateway Center for Professional Learning and our work in the day schools, we do a lot of our work in educating teachers. A lot of times we get called in to help with a student because a student is having trouble either with behavior or a learning challenge. But when we get into the classroom, what we really have to do is educate the teacher. Right. Because it's the teacher's behavior or teaching style that actually has to change in order for the student to learn. Right. Um, you know, there's a educator that once said, it's your job to teach as a teacher and it's a student's job to learn. And if both of those, that's from Ross Green, if both of those things are happening, then access will happen and doors will open. But it's important that we're not just teaching kids about disabilities, though that's great because they're our future and the more open they are, then the more open society will be. But the teachers are um, sort of the front door. And so a lot of our work through the Center for Professional Learning and our professional development efforts go towards educators understanding what it takes and what it means to be inclusive, Uh, not just providing a special accommodation, but really having a classroom that's open to all learners. Can we take us? I want to take a step back here for a second and talk about the word disabilities, because at least from you know my generic knowledge of this, I thought we were transitioning from disabilities to special needs, and now it seems to be transitioning back to disabilities. And so the question is, why? And then the second question is, when we say disabilities, what what is what does that define? Like, are we talking about all behavioral and physical and mental, or is it a you know, where where does the spectrum go to from point A to point B? Um, I think people have varying viewpoints of what disabilities mean, what special needs mean. Uh, my understanding is that special needs was a shortened version of special educational needs, and so that was specific to educational settings, where disabilities is not just about schools and education. Um and affects a whole person in any way. And as far as why things change over time, the pendulum swings all the time for what is politically correct, um, you know, sort of who has the loudest voice at the table for what feels good in the moment. And I think what's important is that those voices are listened to uh, for someone who has a disability or a special educational need that – it shouldn't be other people deciding what's appropriate terms or labels, but that their voice is heard for what feels okay to them. And and I think also you think about what happened in the 40s, 50s, 60s, even into the 70s where many people with disabilities were institutionalized and just out of sight, out of mind. And then you had in 1978, 1979 – uh, educational 
uh, dis- disability rights uh, to an education in the public schools. And then you had the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. And now everyone's on the forefront of we are a inc- member of the society and we want to be heard and we want to be seen. And that created ramps and it created Braille on the doorway. And then even within the disability community, there are spectrums. I mean, we talk about autism and that's a spectrum. You've met one person with autism. You've met one person with autism. The next person's not the same. Same thing for someone who's deaf or hard of hearing. Not every deaf or hard of hearing wears hearing aids. Not every deaf and hard of hearing person sign. So there's a spectrum within. And then even in the last decade, 15 years, um, it's not that we have new disabilities, but they become more aware. As Nancy said, they become more prominent. We talk more about allergies today, especially food and environmental allergies, than when we did when I was a student in elementary school. Autism was really on the forefront about 15 years ago. Autism's been around for a long time, but there was no definitive how do we work with children, how do we work with adults, how can we make them more inclusive members of society. So what the work we're doing here at Gateway is just one small piece, but it's an important piece. Right. Just including and being more aware and starting those conversations early enough for people to start being comfortable with the un- what they don't know and don't understand, I think is really, really important. And, that, and that's, that's what helps break down the attitudinal barriers Definitely. and that's the huge piece of it and that's why having these different components and working with children and working with parents and working with teachers really helps break that down and has a better understanding of we all have our strength and we all have our challenges whether mm-hmm. we have a disability or not so this is a personal question um i was diag- diagnosed as a child with adhd and it wasn't until i was much older that i i ever sort of viewed that as any sort of learning disability i just thought it was something i had and we dealt with it and it was fine um by fine i mean it was not fine but um from the you know my my parents saw everyone you know getting their kids diagnosed and giving them red linen so they held they held off starting me on to like the fourth grade after being tested in the first grade they're like let's see how he does those are fun years for me in the hallway of my school but <laughs> the the reason why i'm i'm bringing this up is that i never and I also had a stutter, so I went to a speech coach at speech therapy. Never once did I view either one of those things as a disability. It was just something I was working on. I guess th- th- that was probably my parents doing a very good job of like trying to make me feel normal. I mean, I didn't feel normal at school, but I was also the only Jew in my school, so I was already fine. That's a totally being different. separate yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Another yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now everyone in Oklahoma thinks all Jews are hyperactive, I assume, because um, they met me. But... <laughs> So what? So the, the reason why I bring this up is like on the the spectrum of disabilities, there are you know there there's autism, there's learning disabilities, there's uh, physical ones, and so how how do they interact? Does someone who someone who's autistic and someone who is deaf, if they're both in the same class and they're talking about disabilities, like does one feel like they're getting ignored versus the other one, or is it like? How is their inclusion for all versus inclusion teaching people to include different kinds of disabilities? So at Gateways, we have an interesting program for teenagers called Mitzvah Menches. And it is specifically designed to include teens with and without disabilities. And we program, um, it's all about social justice and philanthropy, but the program is and curriculum is specifically designed to include everyone. And so while at times we have to acknowledge that some of the participants may work differently or need different supports, 
everything we do is created um, so that everyone has access points. And no one is sort of like, oh, you have a disability and so you work in this group or you need this support. Everyone works together. And so there's a few goals um, within the program around inclusion. And one of those is just accepting of one another and learning from one another. Sometimes people refer to uh, ADHD and things like that as a hidden disability. Sometimes people on the autism spectrum uh, might have other exceptional skills, and so it's referred to as twice exceptional. So there's lots of these sort of politically correct terms that we might toss around, but the real goal is that everyone has a place, and uh, we're not all getting the exact same supports because that's equal. We're getting what's fair. We're getting what we need. And that's a term I hear a lot in early elementary school of everyone gets what they need. And um, you, know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. There's sort of all these <laughs> cute little terms. But at Mitzvah Menches, the teens come together with uh, their goal of giving back to the community. They tell us about a problem that exists in the world that they don't like, so hunger or homelessness. And then the educators find a nonprofit whose goal it is to alleviate that problem. And then we, as educators, plan curriculum to educate the teens about the social justice problem uh, around the organization that's helping, and then the teens figure out a way of giving back. And so teens who historically get a lot of help because of their disability are able to give back and be the ones helping, and teens with and without special needs are learning from one another and starting to recognize strengths people have, even though they might also have a disability. You know, oftentimes um, we or people who don't have disability have to really shift their perspective on things. So uh, you mentioned you, you had or have ADHD, and so your brain works in a very different way, but you have so many strengths that come with that that someone who doesn't have ADHD may not be able to think and process in the same way. And so we all bring bring something to the table, and it's really getting others to recognize that. And as Nancy mentioned, having kids with and without disabilities, they're getting a chance to work with one another and a chance to understand different points of view and what strengths and challenges anybody could have. So it's not a uh, Harrison Bergeron situation, if anyone knows this uh, Kurt Vonnegut short story about uh, he's like a very tall, strong guy who has to like wear all these weights and whatnot because the society is trying to make everyone equal, right? That that's not – instead of trying to bring everyone down to the same level, you're trying to include everyone in, in whatever way they're comfortable with, which I think is incredibly good because, again, public school, there was not a lot of – well, there was a lot of tension drawn toward me because I was being loud, but there was not like specific things for me to do. I had to, I had to fit – into the system I was in. And if I could not do that, then I was you know, sent outside. Um, <laughs> Poor Jesse. I know. I'm like picturing uh, you standing in the hallway by yourself. <laughs> like, oh. Cold, cold hallway. Um, <laughs> so for, for people listening who are just like, I want to I help, but I don't really know. I don't want to upset someone. I won't say the wrong thing. Like, what would you tell them? What's the best way to start like, sort of researching this if, you are, if you're someone who wants to get involved, wants to help in some way? Well, there's... Getting involved at Gateways, which we strongly encourage everyone to do. GateWays.org. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. Um, 
Gateways has lots of opportunities for people to get involved, whether it's through helping us with fundraising or working um, to uh, make access points for people or advocacy about the organization um, or other kinds of things. But in general, in the greater community, I think it's treating people like people. If you see you know, someone struggling to open a door, you open the door for them. And the same is true for anyone with a disability, whether they're having trouble opening the door because they have a wheelchair or they're pushing a stroller, um, you know, with children in it, that's really no difference. And I think that, you know, we look at um, two sort of schools of thought. One is universal design, and that is including everyone and creating support so that anyone can access whatever it is you're trying to do. And then there's differentiation, and that's making a special support for one person or two people or a small group of people so that they can access something. So for the child with ADHD in a classroom, you might give them a unique special support, whether that's a fidget toy that they can hold on to to use or special seating um so that they, you know, can bounce on a yoga ball as they do their math. As oh, that would have been amazing. To, absolutely. <laughs> um, it would have been so much more focused. I know. It would be great. <laughs> right. So that might be um, something special that's available, something differentiated. But the point is that everyone gets what they need. And I would just add, in addition to everything that Gateway does for the person who's just in the supermarket and sees someone a little bit different, just saying hi goes a long way, and I think that's true for people in general, with or without disabilities. You can always go up and ask, but be ready to acknowledge that that person might say, thank you, I'm good, or thank you, I could use your help, and just a sign of respect. So I know you guys also do work with a lot of synagogues and temples, with their, their Hebrew schools and also like with their general programming. I'm wondering how that, as far as access goes, a ramp or an elevator. Like some of these buildings are very old and some of those things are very expensive. So I'm wondering like how does the, the pragmatic, you know, physical parts work into it, into your work here at Gateways? So we're not actually building any ramps ourselves. Uh, there are a lot of synagogues in the area that are part of the Ruderman Inclusion Project and they're going through steps to evaluate both their physical space and other kinds of accommodations, whether it's allergy awareness at Onig Shabbat or um, having, you know, prayer books with larger size print or other visual supports. Um, Gateways makes a lot of visual supports, and we provide those to a lot of places in the community. So if you go on our website, you can see some resources that are available for anyone to download and print out that have prayers with pictures so that kids can learn to, uh, or anyone can learn to read them. Um, we you know, do that sort of thing as well as uh, just share our ideas with the community, tips for making, you know, Hanukkah more inclusive or how to get through Passover with kids that maybe have trouble sitting for a long time um, or don't like trying new foods or get really frustrated when um, they can't have, you know, their favorite sandwich <laughs> and they, you know, have to eat matzah for, you know, the entire time. Um, so we do a lot of training around that. We provide resources to it. We've even published a couple of books recently. Uh, there's the Gateways Haggadah, 
which has visual supports in it for the prayers and the blessings, but also has little social cues. Like if you don't like the matzah, you can just put it on your plate and say no thank you. So socially appropriate outs, uh, which help anyone um, get through yeah. a long Seder. I was going to say those are all important things for anyone trying to sit through a lot. Like that's amazing. I love matzah. Anyway, that's a, that's a sad, <laughs> okay. sad note. Another way to get involved is through our teen volunteer program. So Gateways has a self-contained Sunday program, meaning it's not inclusive within a synagogue, but we run our own Sunday school. And there we have high school students that volunteer and are assigned to work individually with students with disabilities. The teenagers in that program uh, apply in the spring, they're vetted, and then if accepted, they receive six hours of training before the year starts, and then every week receive half an hour of training. And so they really become very skilled classroom aides or individual student aides. And the teens that participate in the program, it's a year-long commitment, but typically when they enter in 10th grade, they don't leave until they're seniors. They love the program. They love the camaraderie of the other teens. They love the connection they make with students, uh, with children. Most high school kids these days need community service, and this fulfills that requirement, but in a really special, unique way. You know, they're making a connection with a child that they might not meet otherwise. And I think through that, what we hear from them is they learn a lot about themselves. They learn to be more patient. They learn... Uh, to be more forgiving of mistakes. Um, And it's a great way to get involved in gateways. It's a great way to learn about inclusion and disabilities and just the notion of everyone having a place. A lot of these high schoolers go on to college to do something um, still within this realm, whether they're volunteering through Special Olympics or get involved as a career in some sort of human service, uh, whether it's medicine or psychology or education. But that's another great way to get involved in Gateways. So the teens come in their their classroom aides, and then there's educators in the room as well. So there's special there's special education teachers that lead each classroom. Got it. But every student has a high school student that's called their volunteer, and they're matched like the whole. They are matched for the whole year, so they can create really incredible bonds. They have incredible bonds. That's really incredible. Uh, Usually at the end of the year, we print out a photograph of the teen with their student. And years later, we hear that people still have those pictures up on their walls, you know, through college, through grad school, and that uh, volunteering with Gateways is the most meaningful thing they do in high school. Yeah, we did not have programs like that growing up. That is true. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, one of my first jobs when I moved up here was a one-on-one aide at the Temple Israel Sunday School. And I was, I was attached to, um, a kid who also had ADHD and it was uh, it was a little creepy at times because I was watching him I was like oh man like I can see a freak out coming like I can sense it like I know because I would have done this and you know in his case and so it was a lot of times like I'd make eye contact with the teacher and we'd like you know I'd take the kid for a walk or like figure out what's bothering him because you know again the brain works differently and it's hard to comprehend sometimes why someone is upset about something that happened two hours ago but it came back to them for, for some reason and th- that opportunity was great and like after that year was done there was really nothing else for me to do because the kid didn't come back uh, which was sad but 
like I there was no as a volunteer there was no sort of uh, guidepost about what to do next and where to use the the knowledge I've gained from just you know being me and so it, it's it's wonderful that these opportunities exist I mean, especially for teenagers now because you do need way more community service than I needed when I went to college so. And they also get really get great training. So it's not like we're just throwing them into classrooms and hoping they help. Uh, but they get specific skills and strategies to support students in a classroom setting. Um, teen volunteers apply, as I said, in the spring. And typically we end up with a wait list. It's so popular. Uh, so, you know, we can accept only a certain number of teens each year. Um, but usually the ones that come self-select as really an amazing group of teenagers. And this, this is really, I think about this, and this is lifelong skills and that they will carry for the rest of their lives. They're bound to meet other people who are a little bit different, a lot different. It depends whether they're in college, in the workplace, out at the ball game, wherever it may be. And so these are skills that are set early on and they're ready for it. Another great opportunity at Gateways for adults or college students that want to give back, want to learn about disabilities or about Gateways and the Jewish community is our B'nai Mitzvah program. So our B'nai Mitzvah program serves students, again, who might need a little bit more support, and we match them with a tutor. And so the tutor works with them, but with a cohort of kids. So they're not just off one-on-one in someone's house, but all the tutors, all the students work together at the same time, preparing for a bar about mitzvahs in a way that's meaningful to that student. And the tutors have a great community of support. They learn specific skills and strategies that they can take with them for their entire lives in helping teach a wide range of learners. But also, they learn about gateways in our community and um, going to some of the, you know, bat mitzvahs or bar mitzvahs that our students have. You really see that community come together. So it's another really meaningful way of getting involved. And I, I can actually personally vouch for this because my son is in the uh, B'nai Mitzvah program. And he just started this year and he's starting to learn uh, the social cues, but also Hebrew. And recently there was a Gateway Shabbat dinner and followed by a service and watching him sit with the Sidor and trying to follow along and picking out words he knew and tunes and so forth. It's really a credit to what the B'nai Mitzvah program had done so far. So thank you. That's awesome. I think B'nai Mitzvah year is rough for almost anybody, including myself. (laughs) So that's really great that there's that opportunity to learn together, but individualized learning in that in that cohort, which is really wonderful. Well, I want to say thank you so much for talking to us about Gateways and all of the incredible work you do. Um, for our listeners, you can go online. Jesse, what's uh, gateways.org. Um, we'll post it in the link too, so you can check out literally everything that this incredible organization does and what they do for this community and ways to get involved. And I just I'm so in awe of the breadth of work that you do to include so many people in the Jewish community and make the Jewish community truly a home for every Jew, Um, not just your typical straight-laced, like, average Jew. Like, it is literally everybody, and I love that. And it just really opens a lot of doors for people to be 
Jewish. Thank you. Thank you for taking yeah. the time to get to know us and yeah. our work and our organization. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Gary, Nancy, thank you. enjoyed our conversation with Gary and Nancy from Gateways. If you want to learn more about Jewish Disabilities and Inclusion Month, visit jewishboston.com slash J-D-A-I-M, J-D-A-M. And to learn more about Gateways, visit jgateways.org. I want to give a special thank you to Jeremiah Klarman and Gateways for letting us use his amazing piece of music. It's called Open the Gates. You just heard it before this outro. And we will put a link to the full track in our description. So look for it there. It's fantastic. I also want to, of course, thank Sean Fogel for our amazing theme music. I still love it. It's still my ringtone. It's the best. I want to thank CJP and JewishBoston.com for their support. And uh, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. That's how more people will find out about us. And, um, you know, of course, I will read your review if you leave us one. You can reach us at podcast at JewishBoston.com. And we are also available on lots of other formats that have podcasts. So Stitcher, SoundCloud, the Google Play Store. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. Thank you all for listening, and may tomorrow be better than today.